Welcome back to your popular show with me, James A. Smith. Great to be back. Uh, remember, if you want to help the show continue and support us in our work, then patreon.com forward slash the popular pod is the place to go to. We're back with Kurt Mills. He is contributing editor at the American Conservative. We spoke about a year ago. Great to have you back on the program, Kurt. How are you? Hey, man, how's it going? I, I just uh, I like that intro. Uh, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> very, very well, very well done. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we've we've made a good beginning anyway. Uh, so it's been about a year since we since we spoke, and um, back then we were talking about your your view of the right, both as somebody mm -hmm. who is sort of identified with the right. You work at the American Conservative, mm -hmm. after all, um, and it's it's been a, a year of highs and lows, to 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 use the cliche. Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to kind of getting stuck into um, some of what has happened since we, we last spoke to each other. Um, but before we do, I, I wanted to ask something um, about about generations and politics. This has been a, a theme in, in some of the things that you've written. And uh, yeah. indeed, one of the things I like about the American Conservative is that there, there is a kind of very youthful cohort of writers in there, uh, both in the magazine and, and in, the, in, in the podcast as well. And more than elsewhere on the right, I think there is a great deal of literacy and interest in the, the kind of generational dilemmas that form such a big part of our, our politics today. Helen Andrews' mm -hmm. uh, uh, book, Boomers, is, is an excellent contribution to um, the, the, the literature of politics and generations. So um, we, we're used to, um, on, on the left, thinking in terms of, um, well, the, the phrase gets used, uh, Keir Milburn has, has coined this phrase, generation left, the, mm -hmm. the current sort of cohort of uh, millennials and, and Gen Z have been so, as a, as a cohort, left out of the, the fruits of capitalism that they have um, retained left-wing economic views much later than any previous generation in the in, right. in the in the 20th century um and i mean i would add to that that with each successive humiliation and defeat they have suffered or perceived that they have suffered um they've also kind of been driven into some political views that have made it much more difficult for them to seek coalitions with older people who often have slightly different economic interests so mm -hmm. th th there is there is something peculiar about the, the 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 generations last generations that, uh, that that we both belong to uh and the the one that uh the the, the one that provided the the base if you like for for corbynism and and for, in the uk and for bernie sanders um you you wrote uh, I, i've noted down a, a few of the interesting remarks that you've made in in uh, your writing this year um most striking was after the midterm elections which proved unexpectedly bad for the Republicans and unexpectedly, undeservedly good for Joe Biden. You wrote, uh, the young just delivered renewed power to the party of the system. Give us that shoebox apartment, the zero to one kids, the hydroponic weed from the West Coast and little else. What a woebegone and beaten generation mine has become. Uh, how are you looking at the the young, your own generation uh, right now, Kurt? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly <laughs> believe what I, um, 
I, I would I would say that all of this stems from what is potentially no, what is an unprecedented problem, which is and it's, not, it's not a problem. It's an unprecedented dynamic that mm -hmm. you're going to have wealthy baby boomers, principally, that are going to live, you know, far in excess of the more standard, you know, granddad dies at 70, 75, 80. And I think it's going to be pretty routine, despite all of the problems of technical technological progress we can get into. I think it's going to get pretty routine that these people are going to live well into their 80s and 90s. You know, hopefully if the world doesn't collapse, so will we. Mm. Um, but meanwhile, with the, I mean, particularly in the United States, I'm not as familiar with the, the British system um, on, on, on property, but particularly in the United States, it's just a real estate story. I mean, yeah. If yeah. you know, I mean, I live in <clears throat> LA, and if you, you just look at these houses in the Hollywood Hills every day, uh, you know, <laughs> from my apartment down below, and it's, it's like if you just bought one of these houses for whatever in the late 80s, you, you made six, 10x, mm -hmm. um, depending. It's just, it's, I just don't think there's going to be that. Kind of arbitrage opportunity for for millennials and you know the Gen Gen Z people are even more uh, precarious. So no, it's 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 a big mess. Um, I think how this has been channeled. Um, oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other things going on. I think you you had obviously Reaganism mixed with what I view as pretty far left uh, immigration policy and. Mm -hmm. Um, that's globalization, that's neoliberalism, right? And uh, I think um, the reaction principally for under 40 types has really in the United States been, this is all some sort of legacy of white supremacy or some such like, you know, the Harding administration is still in power a hundred years later. There's a secret room with, you know, cigar chomping white male plutocrats that control the world and are screwing you know 25 year olds and 30 year olds and it's just it's just a fantasy it's not true uh the rich especially in the united states are increasingly the you know the core constituency of the democratic party um and this is just messing up all of the muscle memories of everybody who was born before I was, right? I mean, this was just not the dynamics of the 80s, 70s, and 60s. People's, people's minds are still the Republicans or the country club Republicans, the Democrats or the party of labor. And look, a lot of those policy platforms are still in effect, right? I mean, you get stuff like a Republican Congress and they want to go in there and cut a bunch of taxes and deregulate stuff, you know, sort of willy-nilly, blindly. Uh, and you've got you know, a Democratic Party that, you know, has greater representation uh, among union executives, I think there's you see a cleavage between union executives and union membership, especially in the Trump era. Um, but you know the the raw, you know the raw reality of it has been, has been much much maligned. Um, but I think you know people like Josh Hawley, JD Vance, etc., are correct. The Republicans are more accurately described as the party of the working class, if there is indeed a working class party of the two major parties in the U.S. Um, and. I mean, how how would you? How does that dynamic work? I, I mean, if we if we go through the generations, it just might it might not work yeah, at all. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I I mean, if we concede, and and obviously a lot of people on the left immediately get their their, their sort of hackles rising when when they hear Josh Hawley uh, mm -hmm. say that. Um, 
is is it worth clarifying that that if the Republicans are the party of the working class, they're the party of the older working class? I mean, uh, just because I mean, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily a statement of like the party got together and it's like this is what we want to stand for. It's it's more yeah. a case of inertia and gravity. Like who is like actually voting for Republicans? It's not rich people in West Hollywood, right? Like yeah. it's it's and I I don't necessarily concede it's older. I mean, there's there is um, or at least not boomer, right? I mean, there's there's a very interesting dynamic where Gen X is arguably now the most reliably Republican generation, um, depending on what surveys you believe. I mean, I think if there's just, there's a lot of abandoned or marginal places in this country, and you've got a lot of forty three year olds who don't have any sort of you know philosophical you know, grounding to speak of who are voting R that are voting R because the Democrats, whether it's just there's a cultural revulsion, whether they seem like they're the party of Hollywood and big tech, it's just happening by gravity more than any particular plan. So when I when I hear someone uh, like Holly and look, I, I've covered him and I, I, like uh, I understand the critiques. Um, but if you hear someone like you know, Senator Hawley, when he says like the party is a party of the working class, I think he, it's more of a statement of fact and mm -hmm. a, you know a, a sort of invocation for the Republicans to reform more than like you know I think he's well aware of the limits of the of, of what most Republicans are offering, which is not very much. Um, I, I'll give you a, a little self-criticism first of all. I, I think a lot of people during um, the, the Jeremy Corbyn project. Um, we're, we're maybe feeling like if, if not this time, next time, there, there was there was maybe an acknowledgement um, that we were not big enough, um, mm. that we, we were quite certain that um, the, the, that uh, our criticisms of the system as it runs at the moment were right. And some of us, uh, if we allowed ourselves to, took strength from the fact that you had Trumpism running at the same time, making a lot of the same critiques, if not necessarily offering the same solutions. Um, and yeah, even when, um, when, when, when Corbyn fell and then when we failed to retain control of the Labour Party, there was still a feeling that, okay, but nothing has changed as far as um, the, the, the problems that... Um, exist along class lines but now also exist along generational lines nothing has come along to solve that so those people are still waiting in the wings for us um what i i the reason why i sympathize with a lot of the sort of conservative melancholia after mm. the midterms is that actually it's quite galling from the left to see that those people that we galvanized and gathered up with with bernie and corbyn actually are quite easy to turn over um, to the most, as you say, most establishment um, rich people's party of, of the the uh, the Joe Biden Democrats, and I, and I think that the British radical left um, needs to sort of steel itself for the distinct possibility that Keir Starmer, um, another establishment restoration figure, um, is going to end up doing even better with young people than Jeremy Corbyn did in 2017. Right. So the, I guess the, 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 um, yeah, the melancholic point from the radical left is that even though it seemed like we'd finally found this 
audience and this social base and this future mm-hmm. uh, actually without political guidance and political organization that has just sort of run through our fingers and been claimed and stolen by somebody else. I, I wonder if um, you, you have any sort of similar um, sense of self-criticism from the point of view of, of the right. I guess my simple question would be, what was the plan for young people? It's all very well, Trumpism, you know, being certain that Trump had the the answers mm-hmm. at some point anyway to mm-hmm. um, the right questions and, and mm-hmm. that the current state of things is, is, is hell. But what was the plan for getting those young people who don't feel as you do? You mean in 2022 or 2016 or what? Uh, well, um, I, I guess you didn't need them in 2016, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, 2020, yeah. 2022, and, and 2024. Uh, well, there's a lot of things going on. I'd love to, I'd love to talk about Keir Starmer, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I guess I'll just forestall that for a second. Um, sure. I, I, do, I am struck that the Corbyn thing is in some ways very similar to the Trump thing, but in other ways, it's like the polar opposite. Yeah. So, I mean, the Corbyn thing is like this, this, his group had been on the fringes of politics for a very long time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, these like McDonald people, right? And, um, you know, they in some ways were way more effective. He had a cadre, right? Trump did not have a cadre or not yeah. much of one, right? Like he, like he did not come in with a group of ideologues, save you know, all the people who are very famous, right? Save someone like Bannon or or Carlson, right? And Carlson wasn't even in the administration and Bannon wasn't in the administration very long. Versus Corbyn, uh, I mean, I think he significantly reformed internally the Labour Party, did he not? At least for the time that he was, I mean, like if they had gotten in there in 2017, which I guess was yeah. a closer election, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like if they had won that year, like they would have been ready to govern and do some of this, you know, left-wing populist stuff, right? No, you're right. Versus, yeah. yeah, okay. So like Contra, Trump did not have that, yet he won. Hmm. Yes. And so, yeah, this so is a good it, comparison. Yeah. Um, so I think that's notable. Uh, I would say, in terms of the underrated appeal of the establishment on the left wing side, um, and I, this is where I, I, I don't think the the conservatives in Britain can, can be really compared to the Republicans because the conservatives have been electorally, at least, been far more successful than the Republicans the last 20 years, right? The conservatives yeah. have won, what, three general, or two and a half with the, with the, the shared government, two, let's call it two and two thirds, right? And the Republicans have won one presidential election since 2004, or since 2005. And so it's, it's a weaker party than the conservatives. Um, what I would say is that I don't think there is going to be this temptation, even though the people in the Republican establishment disagree with this, for there to be a great establishment recrudescence on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. I don't think people believe in this stuff. I, mean, I don't think the Republican establishment is that powerful versus the Democratic establishment is super powerful. Like, I, I, like, what are they going to do? They're going to have some guy up there, like Mitt Romney in 2024, and talk about how we need free trade agreements and we need tax cuts and we need to invade Iran. That's going to win a general election. I would be surprised. Yeah. So, and, and I don't think there's, you know, I don't think there's a lot of 
soft power compelling people in that direction, right? Like, you know, believing in article of faith, believing in McConnellism or Dan Crenshawism, the uh, Houston congressman, sort of on the hawkish moderate side of Republican politics. You know, that's not, there's not a career in that, not really, versus the left wing thing, the left wing establishment thing. I mean, that's basically the unofficial religion of most Fortune 500 companies in the United States. And I imagine it is kind of similar in Britain and in Europe. Um, So in that sense, from your perspective, uh, (laughs) it's a little darker, (laughs) even though, even, (laughs) even though I, even though I think it's been an atrocious, uh, unbelievable underperformance by the uh, so-called populist right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to throw another um, citation from, from from you at you, if that if that's okay. I, I, okay. I enjoyed this uh, again from the American Conservative this year. Um, you, you you were reflecting on yourself as an earlier ado- early adopter of of Trump um, in in 2015, and you say I, I remain today much the kind of voter I was uh, when I voted for Trump in 2016, if history had played differently, I would have gladly voted for Bernie Sanders over Jeb Bush. Um, but that time changed it all. My generation would be defined by a miserable street fight between right and left, not anti-establishment versus establishment. Did you feel back then? So let's go back to 2015. Trump announces his candidacy finally after um uh, it being rumored for 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 many election mm-hmm. cycles jeremy corbyn wins uh leadership of the Labour party bernie sanders launches his uh campaign uh, not to mention the um the the left populist successes uh in in various parts of europe do, do you do you look back on that as a moment when it was still possible that the um the the young people would perceive the division as anti-establishment versus establishment uh and and how has it how has it changed how is it that it is now as you say a miserable street fight between a sort of fake um uh, uh, opposition between right and left instead yeah i mean in some ways that stuff feels like forever ago in some ways it feels like just yesterday um mm-hmm. cliche um I mean, there were, I would just like to rewind to myself. I remember, I usually cite Sadita in Greece, right? Like it's the sort of beginning yeah. of that. Like mm-hmm. there's the guy who come up with the leather jacket to meet George Osborne, Fair Caucus, and, yeah. you know, maybe the Greeks mm-hmm. were just default. And, um, you know, myself as a broke early 20s drill person was just totally in favor of the, the Greek people. Um, and then even, even I think my, if you go back to late 2014, um, I, I, I wasn't like quite there and I was sort of my view on Brexit, which was like, I have no opinion cause I'm not British, but like, I thought like the S and P's arguments for independence made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think, uh, it seems like a lot of English people underrate their concerns. Um, yeah. uh, I think it kind of disappeared when oil was cheap. Um, but now that we're oil's back up and it looks like we could be in a decade of energy shocks. I, I wouldn't underrate the chances that Scotland gets close. I mean, you're, you're, you're closer to that than I am, but that's my impression from afar. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting world in which like Sanders is the nominee and 
Bush is the nominee or something. Um, yeah. But I guess in retrospect, it was kind of closer to gravity where the damn establishment is just more powerful, as previously mentioned. And so yeah. they were they were able to, to to hold on versus the Republican establishment got annihilated. I mean, but Jeb Bush, I don't think he even finished top five. And I mean, I mean, and number number two in that election was Cruz, who was the absolute bane of the Republican establishment back then. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think the left right thing, I guess in retrospect, it started <laughs> the day after Trump's inauguration with the Women's March. It was like, oh, man, they're getting they're getting they're getting, they're getting uh, you know, beautiful mid 20s women out in the streets like he is in trouble. <laughs> but like, that was my thought then you know yeah this is not the left-wing fringe right so you know but it's um but i think it really intensified with covid the summer of george floyd um and i mean we are um i think the worst of the hangover of that is, is over for now yeah. um but it is still super the dynamic where like um it is just like the, the reigning orthodoxy among young Democrats, which is most, which is a lot of young people, is just like absolute revulsion of the other side, an unthinking revulsion. I mean, like, I mean, and, and I don't look. The Republicans don't do themselves freaking favors, and we can get in. We can just criticize them all day if you want. Um, but like the kind of like casual anti-Republicanism you see among young people in the U.S. is just, you know, it's redolent of Rwanda-style politics. It's just not. It's just not more sophisticated than that. <laughs> It, it is it is like an amazing irony that uh, we we can have gone through decades of neoliberal void where if you were a politicized person you'd be desperate for um the the wider population to start thinking in terms of right and left to start thinking of themselves as political subjects and for that to have finally come along but with a purely depoliticizing in any substantive sense um, effect. So now it is much more common for people to think of themselves as political subjects and to talk about politics on online or, or, or among their social groups and so on. But it's in this complete sort of simulacral form, uh, it, this complete sort of in-group signaling form it, it's uh it, it's a classic example of being careful what you wish for i suppose um the, yeah the, it, through the uh whatever the the clinton blair uh, uh years if if you were mm -hmm. sort of desperate for some sort of return to political antagonism and 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 uh and, and political consciousness then um it, that has finally arrived but in the worst possible form um you, you said you're up for criticizing the, Rep the republicans sure how, how, how is the right um screwed up this this year if if it has I, I i feel like um you you were you were much more buoyant when we spoke a year ago and well they didn't yeah, I mean, yeah. It, did not, it did not uh it surprised me mm -hmm. um so this is definitely uh monday morning uh quarterbacking um uh, you know, I mean, in retrospect, uh, it was kind of a fool's gold. I mean, I would say autumn of 2021 to mm. late spring 2022. I mean, if you had to like zoom back, you know, it looks like Biden, I mean, Biden was a popular president for about six months, over 
I mean, which was higher than Obama was for most of his term. He felt powerful yeah. in D.C. It was there then. And then, you know, we need Afghanistan, but Afghanistan was clearly the first debt in his popularity. It's probably one of the best things he's done. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever, probably the execution, but they got it done. Um, but that was the first stone. And then from there, it's like, I mean, they obviously, for all the vaunted democratic faith and expertise, they obviously got inflation wrong, which has been, apparently people don't like inflation. I mean, I, I've not lived through one, right? Like, I'm like, oh, whatever, 8% inflation. No, like, there's no public appetite for it. Totally. Like, I mean, no, I mean, because there's, I mean, there's like left-wing arguments about it. I think people like, uh, like a Sanders would something would say like, well, what's the big deal if it's lower and inflates away some credit card debt? You know, like people should just, it's not the biggest thing in the world. We're not, this is not Zimbabwe, right? But like, no, like there's actually, I mean, there's no constituency for that argument so far as I can tell, because it was murdering Biden's approval rating circa a year ago this time. Um, and then, you know, I think you saw in the primaries, the Republican primaries, you know, the triumph of, of the more populist right people, right? Vance in Ohio over a slew of more establishment opponents, uh, even Oz in Pennsylvania over McCormick. You know, and I think the more personalistic view on that was like that was the Trump endorsement. But I took it as, you know, obviously very helpful to these candidates, but like there was a real constituency for these types of figures independent of the man. Um, then in the summer, especially August, it felt like the Democrats were, were rallying, but it kind of felt like a head fake. And, uh, by October, it was like we were back to base case, which is they're going to get wiped out. Oh, and then also importantly, Yunkin in Virginia winning in 2021 yeah. was like that was that was the big uh, data point we had on uh, what an election would look like. Um, and it just didn't happen. So like, you know, I mean, the, the, uh, the you know, there's a couple of cuts. Cut number one is there's abortion. That seems kind of right. Um, I, I, I am skeptical how durable an advantage that is for the Democrats, because I just think like the contours of the debate are so misunderstood. Yeah. Like, I mean, like it's like Roe v. Wade enshrined an abortion regime that's more radical than most of Europe. Indeed. And, and I just don't believe that most people or 100% pro-life, 100% pro-choice. I don't care what you tell me. Like, I just like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like actually yeah. talk to them or pull them. I think stuff like a 15-week ban, a 12-week ban, a 20-week, you know, something like this, that's where most people probably are. And, you know, whatever party is able to, you know, politely stiff arm their uh, more radical members, I think is going to have electoral dynamite on their hands. Yeah. Um, but for, for now, they, they were able to make an argument that the Republic has been abandoned altogether, which is, which is just not happening in any place that is politically competitive. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, obviously I'm looking at this from, from quite far away, but I would agree with that. I, I think a lot of the 
liberals in Europe who who looked in horror as Roe v. Wade was overturned, then started to feel a, a little more queasy when they saw quite how late um, abortion is permitted in, in in many parts of the U.S., which is which is far far later than is countenance in uh, in in supposedly progressive um, uh, 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 Europe, um, and. <sighs> Yeah, then there's also the problem that um, quite a lot of left predictions about you overturn Roe v. Wade and then immediately these um, these Neanderthals in these southern states are going to uh, are going to ban abortion and it's going to be um, it's going to be hell for women, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, actually, outside a few outlier examples, uh, it hasn't led to a great deal of Hunger for um, for banning abortion. I mean, Kansas is a is is the classic example there. Yeah. So it, actually, what's been borne out is really what you're describing: that returning um, that question to um, to the state level, the question of what what abortion looks like to the state level, hasn't resulted in this huge rush of of pro life positioning. So both the left and parts of the right got that wrong. Uh, parts of the right thought this was going to be the beginning of a, a golden era of um, the protection of those little Americans in the wombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the left thought it was the beginning of uh, a new handmaid's tale. Um, neither are right about that at all. So, I mean, that, that leads to me to another sort of speculation. It seems quite psychologically plausible to me that a lot of people would feel that they've made their point by voting so earnestly for Democrats in these midterms. And just as probably a lot of evangelicals felt like, well, now we've overturned Roe v. Wade, I, I, I feel like it's job done, whatever actually changes, even if it's nothing in the practice of abortion. Similarly, a lot of liberals possibly think, well, I've, I've, I've given the Republicans their kicking and now I can get back to normal and kind of forget about it as an issue. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm inclined to think that's you know, we could be in a very different environment from 24 and and, mm-hmm. um, and you're right um you know i i just you know it's it's uh you know there's such a such an appetite for incredulity on both sides like you know the 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 i i do think that the extreme left-wing position is a, a little more heartless which is to you know absolute maximal right on this and mm-hmm. um you know just viewing anybody with any concerns as somebody who wants to enshrine you know the stafford wives or whatever yeah versus but on the right it's also there like i mean like i mean i, I these people not have sisters or friends who are women you know i mean like you mean should a, should a 15 year old girl and yeah, really, I mean, should really bring this thing to term at, at, at six. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, I, I, so I, I, also, I was, I was, I was, yeah, I, I, I was in favor of overturning it, um, mm-hmm. because I was hoping we could get to a place where these conversations were more rational and it was less of an argument a la Europe. I don't think it's a major deal in Europe, right? Because they're in a sort of moderate regime writ, writ, writ large. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe this is just the pain before the gain, and I, it's very possible. Um, but yeah, sorry, I cut you off. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I, I was 
I was quite puzzled at times listening to 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 your colleagues at TAC and um, to other other parts of the the Trumpist right from this point of view that that if if what was to many of you so bracing and exciting about Donald Trump was that he he made a, a conservative case against globalization. He made a um, a, a, a kind of an economic populist case rather than uh, simply a cultural one uh, about borders, uh, etc. All of these, whatever our listeners think, think of um, them uh, at the level of their analysis and solutions, all of these are relatively materialist uh, arguments and are, are framed as such. Um, I'd add to that the, the, the point that uh, uh, Trump was so at least in his um, rhetoric, so radical on foreign policy and such a break from um, fr fr from Bush. All of this, it, it seemed very difficult for me to draw the line between those issues, which I understood and, and considered basically deserved in, in, in 2016, and this cultural issue where it it, it just seems like that the, the foreign policy stuff and the domestic stuff and the material stuff seemed like it would have such a broad base of mm -hmm. support and i can see why he'd be excited about it meanwhile the the, the idea that um any fetus is a person um and that uh, there is a there is a kind of holocaust of of uh, fetuses going on every day in America. That just seems so. Even if people are Christians or whatever and believe it, it just seems so kind of kooky and minoritarian and idiosyncratic and eccentric compared to the other parts of the Trump perspectives. And Trump can't possibly think it either, for that matter. No, Trump. Trump. But, Trump <laughs> doesn't believe. But, yeah. But that, that I, I just wonder, you know, if, if even socially, like when you're in the bar with um, your, your, your colleagues and your ideological kinfolk, is this really how they talk? Is this really how they think? And how do they, how, was that just projection? If they do think it, did they imagine that your average Trump supporter uh, out there in the country also thinks it beyond, you know, certain evangelical enclaves. It, it was it was confusing to me. So that's an innocent, unloaded question, even if it sounds sure. otherwise. Well, with the needless caveat that a lot of these people are my friends and people mm -hmm. I've worked with. Um, and uh, yes, you have probably correctly perceived that I uh, this is not a core issue for me. Mm -hmm. um, I will say just pure analytically. What, I think a couple of things have occurred. Uh, number one, that right-left war that I that was aforementioned, I think, has encouraged both sides to take on the garb of the most radical or most uh, punctuated yeah. parts of their own constituency. Right? Like, can't be no such thing as no such thing as too woke on the left, right? I mean, mm -hmm. like, if you, if you, I mean, I'm sure you've done it. You're getting an argument with a woke person. If someone wants to call you a racist and you're like, hey, or like, this person's a racist, it's, 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 it's kind of an, kind of an irrational or maybe, maybe not. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no, there's, there's no, no there's, there's no ceiling on it. No, I mean, you, you just, there, it just, it, it, it's like, there's not a conversation. It's just like, that person's going to hold back here. Um, and, 
I would say there are elements, although I don't think it's nearly as pernicious or as much as the raison d'etre of the quote, right? But, you know, you could argue there's a mirror or reflective dynamic where it's like you're never pious enough, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. I think we've, I think we've really learned that man is a religious animal. And, you know, on the left, it's the science and equity, et cetera. And mm -hmm. that's, that's far closer to the power centers of yeah. the West. But, I mean, I think you definitely see uh, elements of this on the right as well. And then what I would also say is, you know, Trump was only neo-revolutionary, right? I mean, he was very insulting to conservative ink. But as the years went on, you're familiar with the term conservative ink? Yeah, like, I mean, like, yeah, like as the year went on, yeah. I think... I think he, I think any politician who wants to wield power would have had to do this, by the way. But like, you know, I think you've seen a merger of these concerns and the, you know, the hardline abortion thing had always been an element um, of the party. What is interesting, though, is that I, I do wonder how this will break down as the years go on. You know, the traditional constituency for this stuff is the evangelical right. Right. And like people like literal Republican voters in states that matter, i.e. not D.C. or New York City. <laughs> like these are evangelical people in Iowa, South Carolina, et cetera. Right. Yeah. Um, and like that is who Mike Pence or Mike Pompeo are going to go talk to in the mm -hmm. coming months. Um, but the intellectual architecture on it is often the Roman Catholic um, edifice or well, is that the, the uh, institution in Washington, New York, the, the elite intellectuals. And so it's an interesting merger. Um, yeah, and one, and one, wonders, one wonders how durable it is because I, I do think, like I said, I do think these pro-life, pro-choice things are, are, are very fungible. I mean, like, I mean, like, you go back to campaign websites, you know, like any Republican worth its salt running in a place not California or New York is going to have 100% pro-life record, right? And then they're just, you know, maybe they'll alter it at the primary or something. Um, will that happen in 2027? Or will they, or, or, or will it be like 15-week abortion then? Will we actually get into the granularity? It could get really ugly. But yeah. look, I feel like I'm coming off way too hard on me on this thing. The uh, anti the abortion laws in the United States were way too permissive. Status quo anti. They're about mm -hmm. to get restri more restrictive. That is good. Uh, additionally, the left was moved from the Clinton era safe, legal, and rare. The sort yes. of dignified. If this is a personal matter, you need to handle it. It's a very difficult decision, but it should be made by adults, and it could be justified. Versus the absolute uh, veneration of abortion, like abortion actually being celebrated and bragged about, that gives me the that that, that gives me the willies. And, no, rightly so. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, we've said before on 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 this show that, that that is a very good example of a kind of slippage in in left thought, um, yeah. where we have gone from uh, um, recognizing social 
ills and uh, and horrible things that people go through or feel themselves pushed into we've gone from identifying those and offering material explanations for why they happen um and sort of making the case for changing those material circumstances we've gone from that to a, a discourse of destigmatizing um, the horrible things that people are pushed into and sometimes have to do, such that we end up um, confusing ourselves and defending them. So, so rather than saying it, it, it's it's atrocious that um, a, a woman would feel like she she can't you know she can't look after this kid or that she doesn't mm -hmm. sort of live the sort of life where she's going to be able to look after a kid, mm -hmm. it, it's terrible that she would then. You know, feel feel herself pressured into this decision, which is, is extremely common. All, all other kinds of examples where people have abortions, none of them are particularly happy circumstances. So we, we've gone from being clear-eyed about that, as I have to say, the uh, that that uh, the, the Hillary Clinton uh, uh, line was um, uh, clear-eyed about that, um, to as you describe this 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 pretty pretty obscene really um uh, uh behavior of uh, i mean the sex work debate is exact is exactly the same uh, on these grounds that that's we have to destigmatize sex work and then end up sounding like a pimp frankly uh it, it's um yeah no i i will own that and 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 uh, and, and agree that that, that 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 is a problem on our side certainly um what, what about what about foreign policy you told us a year ago that conservatives are anti anti putin um and you were um one of a, a sort of string of of guests we had on um from the right and the left uh before putin went into right. ukraine uh and i think the, the majority of us were pretty shocked when that actually happened even if it right. didn't change an enormous amount about what we'd um said beforehand um the 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 moral blackmail uh and the um removal of serious political questions from any kind of democratic scrutiny um that we've seen over ukraine has been astonishing or at least it would have been astonishing if we hadn't just seen the exact same thing over covid um we we seem to have that combination pretty entrenched now in both domestic and foreign policy spheres uh we're not allowed to debate it and also it's completely moralized um that you have to agree with the establishment line on it um so that there's a, there's an enormous amount of, of of pressure from all sides are conservatives or are your kind of conservative still anti anti-putin now well i think that uh and I, I'll compare the COVID thing also to Iraq and the mm. war on terror. I mean, I yeah. think I think dynamics held up on all of those. Um, so it, if anything, it just seems like these crises are happening more frequently. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. seventeen-year gap between Iraq mm. and COVID, and a two-year gap between Ukraine and COVID. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know the degree to which debate moved so swiftly and how quickly they were to marshal public western support to the maximal ukrainian side i think it was striking it does seem like it's kind of burning out i mean mm -hmm. relatively uh but nobody knows i mean I mean, if putin does this massive offense i mean like 
either Putin does the massive offensive and he falls on his face again, or he does a massive offensive and it works, and then like he'll be, you know, even more demonic in the public perception. Um, it's just, it, it, I mean, the issue is just. It's just very fatiguing, don't you think? I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I, I know it's bigger for Europeans, uh, mm -hmm. and rightly so. Um, but it just seems like this is really the most important thing in the world. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I, do think, I do think a lot of the pro-Russia analysis is pretty clownish, or at least the, the English language pro-Russian uh, analysis. Mm -hmm. So I've not... I don't speak Russian, so I don't know what they're saying in Russian or Ukrainian, but, or I don't really trust Google Translate on this stuff, especially when it's politicized. But uh, I, you know, I, I think, what, what, what do we got? I mean, the, the Russian military was, was overestimated, generally speaking. Uh, the degree to which uh, the liberal Western establishment was able to rally support around this thing is probably underestimated. But in another another sense, I mean, the the Russians have been able to withstand a lot of economic pressure in a way that people thought maybe they wouldn't be able to. Yeah, and they have more territory today than they did prior. And the question is, like, how long are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. Maybe we will do it. I mean, I mean, the Zelensky speech to Congress was really quite extraordinary. I mean, to go there in the full casual garb, whatever, and just say we're not giving more enough money when we've given more money than anybody. We live very far away from Ukraine. It's a lot. It's a lot. So, yeah, I think in general, on the intellectual side of the populist, right, um, there's like almost no quarter for this, mm -hmm. the, the, the sort of hawkish line. But I mean, it's not that it's not that representative. I mean, that's still the minority in Congress. And yeah. given given the, uh, you know, given the representation in uh, Sorry, given how the argument could be phrased, like if it's phrased in like Reaganite terms, Putin is the head of the, the zombie Soviet Union and, you know, yeah. got to go against them. Like, you know, like your median voter in South Carolina might go for that. Um, but I don't, I don't think there's any real zest for this. And uh, I do think this is a democratic war, capital D. I mean, I, I think mm. ultimately, I think ultimately they view him as an all right gangster. Uh, you know, hmm. the head of the head of evil white power. And yeah. they're super okay. ginned up for it. They're super ginned up for it in a way that they're not for China. And, you know, China is non-white, China is communist. Um, and I just think the China thing is so much more important, uh, in, first and foremost for COVID, but second of all, they're just massively more important. Yeah, reasons. well, I mean, I, I was going to say that this is another sort of strand of my melancholy that uh, for, for all that uh, I'm appalled that um, the the hawkishness of the establishment... You got, the, UK is, the UK is notably the most hawkish, in my opinion. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I, think, I think it's reasonably clear that at, at key junctures, it's been the UK pushing... Mm -hmm. The, pushing the U.S. or, or trying to outflank, yes, the, the especially US. especially Johnson and, and yeah. Truss. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Sunak perhaps a little bit more moderate, um, 
Yeah. But yeah. I mean, even so, I mean, I, I was, it was, there was a while where every senior government had like a picture of the Ukrainian flag in the Twitter bio. It was just really extraordinary. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely right. Um, so uh, on the one hand, we've got the whatever the the, the party of Davos um, pushing uh, um, hawkishness on Ukraine across the board, um, and you know that's made me not for the first time grateful for those dissident right voices who have been much better at not getting just sort of absorbed or subsumed than uh, the squad, for example has been uh, uh, on the left. At the same time, um, it, it, virtually anyone um, on the right I, I hear from who is, um, is some shade of anti-interventionist on Ukraine, uh, they are very often very, very hawkish on China. Um, mm. and, and, and China has been advanced on, on the agenda uh, uh, for, for Biden, or maybe not as much as, um, maybe it's not been the priority that, that you think it should have been, but mm. um, the, the Biden sort of foreign policy of proceeding by kind of erratic and, and geriatric fluffs and senior moments and blurt outs and blunders, followed by stubbornly committing to them, which mm. um, you and I approved of uh, when it was practiced in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, Nancy Pelosi in, in Taiwan was a, an example of that same sort of right. elderly moment um, applied to foreign policy with China. So, I mean, what do you what do you think the policy on China should be? And, and can you sort of de de defend a, a relative hawkishness on China to our listeners? Um, well, to answer the Biden thing, I, mean, I think Biden sure. was hawkish on China as Trump was on Russia. I mean, so like, I mean, there has yeah, been there has yeah, been a ratchet okay. to them. I mean, for hmm. if, if if Trump is a foreign agent of Russia, he's the best. He's the worst of all time. I mean, he was he was yeah. objectively on policy more hawkish than Obama. Yeah, well, and th those uh, those arms that we uh, we mm -hmm. skeptics on on uh, on Ukraine complain were being flooded into Ukraine um prior to the invasion well yeah it was it was trump who sent them there trump was far more escalatory on uh, on ukraine than obama the javelin the javelins yeah mm -hmm. um look i i just let me make it more simple i i um uh, i don't see how greater intermingling between the united states but really I mean, at least a lot of europe you know the u.s sphere how greater intermingling with China, the People's Republic of China, benefits yeah. the common man. Mm. I see how it benefits the U.S. stock market. Yeah, I see how it benefits politicians to get to go on tours there. I just don't see, knowing what we know, knowing what we know about the pitfalls of integration of China, i.e. COVID, I don't see why trade or immigration should be encouraged in any way. With the society, mm -hmm. um, I hope their government collapses. I hope, uh, you know, it's a better place. But you know, you just had to drive through Ohio or Michigan to see the logical endpoint of this kind of trade of China. It's not trade at all. No. So I, I, I mean, that's my view, um, mm -hmm. and I don't. I don't think this can be said for. Any of the other places that the U.S. has spent, you know, 
infinite amount of time on, whether it be Russia, Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran. You know, it's like it's like the biggest thing, and yet we do the least. Um, do you think that the realization of um, undoing the process of, you know, offshoring American industry, the American working class job and 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 uh, living standards to China? Do you think that undoing that, which was a big part of the Trump appeal and dream, um, if if you listen to the uh, the paid-up neoliberal press. If you read the Economist, Biden has continued that dream of uh, of, of kind of rolling back globalization. But I mean, they think they complain that way about everyone. Um, is is that rollback? Is that deglobalization? Is that going to have a military component as far as China is concerned? As far as um, unplugging from China is concerned, in, in your opinion and your prediction? Um, I mean, I think certainly the military is going to be a factor. And I think mm -hmm. if the U.S. is going to maintain this size of military, this is the kind of thing that I would use it on. Um, I think just feeding a country like Taiwan to China would be, you know, a lot more dramatic than parts of Ukraine, which were part of the Soviet Union 30 years ago, mm -hmm. being de facto Russian again. Yeah. You know, Taiwan is a highly developed country with critical intellectual property infrastructure across water. I mean, it would be a pretty big deal if they just took it. Yeah. And, and it's very small. It's not, I mean, Ukraine's the size of Texas. So I think they would, they would take it all, right? And uh, I think that's not good. That's my view. Another um, ingredient uh, of this post-2016 right has been uh, a, a much greater skepticism and, and criticism of America institutionally, something that we used to associate with the left, um, now that seemed to be the preserve of the right. It, it, it was there from from the start when Trump started using the the term the deep state, derived from Peter Dale Scott. Uh, at least he, he he's the, the the intellectual and academic who's done most to theorize and substantiate the idea that there is a a, a permanent power, well a set of bodies that has the effect of being a kind of permanent parallel government. Um, so tr Trump would talk that, that way and found it rhetorically useful to do so. Um, but it's, it's been very interesting in the last couple of months to see Tucker Carlson on Fox yeah. News um, get a lot deeper into this um, discourse, uh, this, this kind of quasi-conspiratorial discourse, I, mm -hmm. I, using the term neutrally, although a lot of people researching in these areas don't like the term. I, I'll just right. drop a, a couple of clips. This was before Christmas, we had Tucker on the JFK assassination. We decided to find out. We spoke to someone who had access to these still hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they contain. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? 
And here's the reply we received verbatim. Quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. A whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. The JFK assassination uh, was something that the CIA had a hand in. Tucker is arguing on his show. And then this week, we move as if leafing through um, a, a book by Peter Taylor Scott. We move from JFK assassination to the next major episode in the history of the deep state, the Watergate conspiracy. Well, it's a long story, but here are the highlights, and they tell you a lot. Richard Nixon believed that elements in the federal bureaucracy were working to undermine the American system of government and had been doing that for a long time. He often said that. He was absolutely right. On June 23, 1972, Nixon met with the then CIA director, Richard Helms, at the White House. During the conversation, which thankfully was tape recorded, Nixon suggested he knew, quote, who shot John, meaning President John F. Kennedy. Nixon further implied that the CIA was directly involved in Kennedy's assassination, which we now know it was. Helms's telling response, total silence. But for Nixon, it didn't matter because it was already over. Four days before, on June 19th, the Washington Post had published the first of many stories about a break-in at the Watergate office building. Unbeknownst to Nixon and unreported by the Washington Post, four of the five burglars worked for the CIA. The first. So uh, Tucker there is um, is giving an analysis that that will be very familiar to um, readers of uh, Devil's Chessboard uh, and uh, and um, Deep Politics and the Death of JFK. Uh, the argument that uh, the assassination of JFK and the deposition of, of, of Richard Nixon after the Watergate scandal were ways in which America's deep intelligence services were getting rid of inconvenient presidents uh, in Peter Dale Scott's analysis, presidents who threatened to de-escalate um, and, um, and, and seek peaceful means in the Cold War. Um, Tucker's working through the, the canon here. We can expect him on Iran-Contra in a couple of weeks, no doubt, and then 9-11 after that, uh, you, you've appeared on, on Tucker Carlson tonight, yep. uh, I, I believe, and, and I, I don't know how far you you know him or people around him. But yep. what's um? I mean, what, what what's your view on on this? This is this is much deeper than Steve Bannon giving the phrase "deep state" to, to Trump to use occasionally. This is this is really um, Fox News em embracing some s some pretty deep stuff, and to my mind, some pretty important stuff that most Americans just don't know about. Uh, yeah, but first let's, let's say I, 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 I saw the Nixon clip. I did not see the JFK clip before you just put it mm -hmm. on. But I mean, objectively speaking, he's a pretty brave man. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's a huge platform. And he, you know, and then he is not from this left-wing background, right? And to just go up there and say, and like, you know, knowing that <laughs> the trap door could come out in his career for doing this on, on any night, pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, if you if you believe it, then you shouldn't say it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, I can't improve upon that. But um, I, 
I do think it's, I mean, the book I've not seen written, maybe it exists, maybe you know it, but the book I've not seen written is, when did the intelligence communities, and, and, and did it, is this just a caricature? When and did the intelligence communities in the West shift from comically right wing to comically left wing? Hmm. Or is it always a fiction, right? So like, like they killed Kennedy to, to, to escalate the Cold War, and that includes Vietnam, which Johnson just bowed on because he knew don't mess with it. And then they cooed Nixon because he was a piece of work. Like, what, what's what's the what's what's the what's the thread there? What's the what's the fourteen year thread there? Were they eleven year thread? Thread? Do we know? And then like now, and then now it's like you oh, know, I see, right. hmm. well, I know, what was the theory of the case? I mean, like it's like, and then like you know, especially in the eighties. If you ever seen these shows, I, I watch all these sort of Latin American shows. The CIA guy is always some like. <laughs> like I mean, almost like a Bannon-esque figure, right? Like a, yeah, a yeah. sort of rough and tumble right winger. Like, you know, gotta gotta fund some contras because you know that's just what we gotta do. Like versus now, it's like you know they're they're in, in the depiction. Um, it's it's you know we gotta fund Antifa or something. Yeah, yeah, I see, I see what you mean. Um, but the, the, the shift mean, has definitely occurred. And mm -hmm. the question is, how much is it is it in reality? Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is it is difficult to say clearly what is going on. Uh, yeah. What is what is going on now? I mean, the I I, I've, I don't see the shift from um, killing the, the the great liberal hero and left hero at, at the time, JFK. To, to deposing Nixon as inconsistent because uh, I mean as uh, I mean as Peter Dale Scott puts it um, here in the book I've got in front of me the Watergate yeah. break-in um, followed Nixon's secret negotiations with Hanoi for disengagement from Vietnam significantly advanced by his May 1972 visit to Moscow so uh, it's almost like the the picture of Nixon as the 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 comical right winger, the the you know how he's represented in the Simpsons, the the, the shifty, corrupt right winger. In a sense, that was the conspiracy. Uh, yeah, at least in this argument, that that's the. Oh, so it's, uh, it's about it's guess, about the It's about the yeah. What they're saying. Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, the I guess the 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 um, the motive hasn't really been there to to write the the longer history that starts to well that takes seriously yeah the, the the trump analysis that the um that the deep state was was completely against him i mean i i, I think part part of the problem was not so much that he was right wing and, and they prefer left wing it was that the the settlement is you do the most right wing advance well okay i'll, I'll, I'll drop the, the the left and right mm -hmm. for, for a second you do the most exploitative driving capitalism into every area of people's intimate lives you escalate um foreign wars you uh, escalate wars that haven't even been declared uh in the um in the name of the military industrial complex but you do it while pretending to be 
a liberal progressive um, leader who wants to see rights advanced and, and wants to see minorities embraced, etc. So there, there was a settlement there that, that left and right parties had signed up to and Trump fucks it up by um, speaking out of turn, by telling the secrets, by threatening that he would tell the secrets, etc., etc. So if, the, if there was a, um, a, a deep state program to discredit Trump, and if January 6th, I mean, we, we've, we've, mm -hmm. uh, we've covered on this show that the, sh the, the, the sheer amount of, um, you know, evidence for, 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 for January 6th being a controlled event, you know, you, you, you want to discredit Trump by letting something like that um, happen okay. on his watch or be associated with him. So, yeah, I, for me, it wouldn't, so my, my I mean, this is not something I'm an expert on at all, but uh, it, it isn't my, it wouldn't be my impression that there's been a major kind of switch from right to left. It, it's always been that presidents of the, of the alleged right or the alleged left can both be inconvenient to, um, it's just, it's just it's, like, yeah. it's like a worship. It's like a worship of, military entanglement of institutions yeah. own yeah. power yeah and, and we will we will discover in good time what will the, we what the british deep states agenda on corbyn was uh, <laughs> and, and what they were doing you know the, the, i would assume i would assume because it's british it's just even twice as evil so it's just yeah. it's it has to be no well, I, I think yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. yeah. um yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I, I, well, I, mean, I there's always like, like weird different cuts. I mean, I just make it before we abandon the topic. It's just, I, mm -hmm. I remember it, it's so Kennedy, uh, you know, we never really know what's going to happen, but it was always viewed that Kennedy was somehow would have slow walked civil rights compared to LBJ. Like there's always mm -hmm. like that, those cuts. Mm -hmm. And then yet like LBJ is obviously the more militarist compared to Kennedy, yeah. I think. Um, and then, you know, that's weird because Kennedy's the Yankee and LBJ is the cracker right you know nowhere texas um yeah and then like you know it's the, the, i mean you could argue that the, the country had like a kind of it's just a cliche had a kind of regime um from the new deal on until the 60s in the sort of new deal apparatus and so that was a sort of big government coalition you know anchored by roosevelt but really spearheaded by truman right but you know, even even Truman warned against these guys, and, and so did Eisenhower, who was like the absolute yeah. commanding heights of all of it. So it's just it's just always been. I'm I'm always <laughs> looking for narrative with more than evidence. Like uh, I'll leave the evidence to people better equipped at it. I, I'm just always looking for what's the the grand theory of why, and I'm always a little skeptical if we can't weave together a grand theory that it's all there. I agree. I agree. I agree that something's up. Agree mm -hmm. that there's stuff that goes on. These things have addresses. They have PO boxes. There are fake government agencies. Nobody. All this happens. Um, Trump definitely uh, offended a lot of people in DC. These people probably the most. Um, the question is, what is what is what is our grand um, theory of the case? And and it's not it's not something I've got commitments on either. Yeah. Um, it, it's more that okay. Well, put put it this way: most 
the only the only cohort of, of people in America who believe that um, uh, one crazy guy shot JFK are educated white men. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and this group um, is actually more conservative than the sort of the what yeah whatever the white house website is the, these people still believe the warren commission reports and have been sort of turning their noses up at anyone who mm -hmm. questions the explanation there ever since and yet the warren commission report has been eaten away and and and, and uh, page after page has been torn out by subsequent mm -hmm. declassifications mm -hmm. so we get an interesting situation where like it's very important to the current um like well yeah the current real base of the the spiritual base uh, anyway of the democratic party it is incredibly important to those people well, it's a very it's a very identity it's very liberal it's a very liberal boomer thing sorry yeah exactly. but yeah yeah um that 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 uh, don't believe in conspiracy theories uh even when um the, the the actual facts as declassified and, and laid out by this time are what they presumably regard as a, a, a as a conspiracy theory if you just summarize it to them the 9-11 commission report is actually going a very similar way where mm -hmm. you know bits and pieces now okay we have to concede this we didn't realize this at the time whereas um acceptable opinion or respectable opinion or the new york times would still be kind of talking like uh, everything that every explanation given um back then is still absolutely true so i i guess it, it i mean it makes up I, I agree that it's brave people turn their nose up at tucker carlson or, or speculate right. about his own um uh uh connections um, family connections with the american establishments and i i think that is fair but nonetheless i, I think you're right to call this whatever the motive behind it uh pretty brave and if it advances true facts that currently america and beyond has a kind of freudian negation in relationship to or disavowal in relationship to i know it but i don't want to know it and so i don't know it um i, I think that's all for the good um at, at the same time it it, it is I, I mean is this a sort of one-upmanship for for an eventual presidential bid uh, is this him sort of i don't know showing that he'll say what the santos even wouldn't say i i, I mean do, do you have a kind of a tactical read on, on why on why now why the tucker machine is doing this now well i think it's he's been in he's been you you, you really hear an escalation in the last couple of months i mean mm -hmm. i okay i mean i, I, mean, I, I think he's He's been running a pretty hardcore show for a while. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Tucker Carlson president thing, I mean, like, obviously, uh, people think that he's a next level charismatic. Yeah. I, I think. I think people, like, they, they just, they sense it. There's something about the guy. Um, and uh, I think, you know, especially, you know, there's plenty of smart, charismatic people in the world the one who's had the sort of discipline to do this show it's, it's not hard it's not it's not easy to do tv and it's not it's it's particularly difficult to do tv intelligently right mm -hmm. i think that's what it, it says like he is not just throwing out pablum up there five nights a week he is doing pretty original stuff whatever 
Yeah. Whatever. And look, I think some episodes are better than others. And I think some years are better than others. And I think uh, that's like anything. But, you know, I think people recognize that this is a interesting, bright product. And if you like them, that's why you like them. If you hate them, that's why you hate them. I, I don't see the complaints about other hosts as much. Let's put it that way. No, um, no, absolutely. So he's obviously striking a nerve. Um, I mean, I think he's got a good life and he must enjoy it because he's been doing this for, I think, six years or getting on up on seven. He got the show in late 16 and he moved quickly between the time slots. So like it's a long time to do something if you hate it. Um, so I think he'd be hard pressed to, to, to leave, especially if you have such a grim view of the American political landscape. Um, um, but, you know, on the other hand, if he is interested in it, I mean, I just think it's a lot better to do this stuff in your 50s and your 80s. Mm-hmm. The leadership class of the West disagrees, or at least the, the American leadership class disagrees. So I think it's always a possibility. I, I, won't, I won't deny that. Um, but I would be, it, it seems like we're very far off from 24. Um, yeah. And, and I think, I think, uh, I think that much is clear. I, I, unless something, you know, shocking occurs, like, which could totally happen. Like the, I, I, a non-Trump run or Trump is not on the battlefield for some reason and a DeSantis implosion and you never know. But um, it does still feel, and I'd love to talk about this too this time or another time, but it does feel like base case we are headed toward a Trump-DeSantis clash. Um, mm-hmm. And like, that's just the story. But I think it could be more interesting. I mean, what, 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 do, what does Mike Pompeo or Clay Hampton know? Or you know, Nikki Haley? I don't know she doesn't know the most, but... Um, you know, I don't know. It, 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 this is definitely the weirdest primary I can remember. So, I answered your question with discussing other candidates. I doubt he would be a candidate in 2024. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I hope we can go through the, the candidates a little further down the line. I know uh, the uh, our usual co host, David Slavic, is very keen to do that uh, okay. uh, with you. Um, yeah, that would be fantastic if we if we can get you back on. Um, well, uh, uh, our listeners can, can seek out your work in the American Conservative and elsewhere. Uh, yes. I've, re- I've read you in Unheard before. Maybe you could uh, give, give your own account of where listeners can find more from you and maybe what you've got in the pipeline as well. Yeah, I mean, 2023, you know, it's all, it's always, it's, it's Twitter's probably the most easy way to get to me. At Kurt Mill, C-U-R-T-M-I-L-L-S. Done work for a lot of other places like National Interest, U.S. News and World Report, Examiner, that kind of stuff. Um, kind of just the background in uh, foreign policy, national security. And, and when, when there's not a war on, I do the internal war, which are called political campaigns. So mm-hmm. um, that's what I do. And I'm, that's that's probably what I will continue doing in some form or another. So thanks. That's great. Um, listeners, I remind you to uh, uh, help us keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash the popular pod. Kurt Mills, this has been fascinating for me and I think for our listeners at home as well. Thanks so much for joining us on The Popular Show. Thanks, man.